Hey friends, um, great to see you all. Welcome to Emmanuel. Friends, we have a friend with us, Matthew Hoskinson, Reverend Dr. Matthew Hoskinson. Will you say hello to us? Hello, Merry hey. Christmas. Hey, Merry Christmas to you. Now, Emmanuel, you know Matthew. Um, you've seen him before. Matthew has been with us a couple different times. Um, but just just to kind of refresh, Matthew, tell us a little bit about, um, so you're a friend of Emmanuel, your family is a friend of Emmanuel, uh, you've been a pastor here in New York City. Um, tell us about your role right now at Redeemer City to City. Yes, yeah, so I work on the New York team for Redeemer City to City. Uh, I direct uh, the city ministry program, which I like to describe as finishing school for pastors. Uh, it helps pastors make that transition from the academic world of seminary to the real life world of particularly New York City ministry. Um, and so it's really just a, a joy that we, we have four training tracks in preaching, pastoring, mission, and leadership. Um, a fellow named Tim Keller teaches about a third of the classes. So, you know, he draws a couple of people. Um, but uh, that there are just, a, it's a tremendous faculty of mainly pastors with lots and lots of New York City experience um, who share our, our gospel-centered but trans-denominational ethos, uh, seeking to bring, uh, the, you know, just what we're saying, uh, the, the, his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. So, um, we mainly serve the five boroughs and a little bit of Jersey and a little bit of Connecticut. Um, but yeah, that's, I, get, I, get, I get to direct that program. I get to recruit teachers. I get to mentor students. Um, I, I, I love it. That's fantastic. I, I love um, all of these programs. Over the last couple of months, I, I got to, you, you let me listen in on some of the, some of the lectures um, by, yeah, that guy called Tim. Um, uh, and boy, ends up that guy can preach. Uh, <laughs> That's what I've heard. Fantastic. Um, tell us one thing that you see God doing here in New York City. Mm, um, I see, I see, there's been a lot of talk about um, people leaving Manhattan, and that is true, or at least even temporarily, uh, and churches in Manhattan struggling. Um, and, you know, I, I, I've lived in Manhattan almost the whole time I've been in New York. I've pastored churches in Manhattan, uh, attend church in Manhattan. So, you know, so I, that's, a, that's a, like a deeply um, concerning thing for me. Uh, one thing I do see God doing is reinvigorating the churches in the boroughs. Um, people who don't have the financial flexibility um, or fluidity to be able to pick up and move from the Bronx. Um, because of a rough economy. Um, and just like kind of this, and I, honestly, I see it in Manhattan churches. I see it in you, uh, my dear brother uh, and sister Amber, uh, in just the tenacity of this is where God has called us. This is where we're going to be. Uh, and that has been just tremendously encouraging to see God root people here, uh, some who are lifelong New Yorkers, um, and others who moved here by God's call and are just very reluctant to let go. Um, and so I, I don't know. I mean, 20, <laughs> I'm going to mention this in the sermon. Who knows what 2021 is going to bring about? Um, and we are servants of the Lord and he can call 
a lifelong Queens resident to move to Houston, Texas. That, that's, he's, he's the shepherd where, where his people. But um, I've been very much encouraged in seeing this reinvigoration of, no, we're here and we're going to be a gospel witness and a gospel light where we are. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Um, that gives us a, some direction to pray. But how, how would you love us to, to pray for you and for the ministry uh, that you lead? Uh, for me, I would certainly appreciate uh, this, is per, this is a personal request. Um, I just had surgery on my vocal cords about three and a half weeks ago. And so I have cleared my follow-ups. I'm allowed to speak today, but I need to stay in sort of conversational tones, which might be a challenge for me. So I'm, I'm going to rely on my microphone um, to, to do the work. And I'm going to rely on Kimberly sitting outside that door, coming in and waving her arms saying, quit it, you know. <laughs> but if you, would, if you would pray for uh, continued healing of my voice, uh, and then, yeah, I, for us at State of the City, we we are we are trying to evaluate what is healthy about church planting culture in New York City, and what is unhealthy. Um, and certainly, the last goodness three months, twelve months have have exposed things that we knew were there. Um, both sort of within our ecosystem of churches and then just more broadly in the church in New York. Um, and so we, we want to take seriously like our role in that. How do we reshape things um, so that there might be a, a healthier um, church planting culture in New York City? Fantastic. Love it. Um, let's pray. And then in just a few minutes, we're going to... Um, really look forward to hearing you bring the word to us. Let's let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much uh, for Matthew and for Kimberly, for their family, for their ministry here in New York City. Father, we thank you uh, that when you call the church into being, it's a family. It's a family and it's local uh, congregational expressions. It's a family between congregations. It's a family between uh, people who are part of different congregations throughout a city, throughout a nation, throughout the world. And Father, we thank you for our common partnership in the gospel. Father, we ask that you will heal uh, Matthew's vocal cords. We ask that uh, the preaching today and his speaking today will uh, not exacerbate any problems, but rather that you will reverse the problems, that you will bring uh, uh, speedy and miraculous healing to him. And Father, we ask uh, that you will bless the ministry of Redeemer City to City uh, as it uh, reevaluates and seeks to um, uh, align its culture more, cl more uh, clearly and closely to the gospel. So Father, pour out your Holy Spirit. Use this time um, it, of, of challenge, of difficulty, of whatever it may be, reevaluation. Use it as a time of refinement. And will you grant that new churches that don't exist now would be brought into being through your power and that they would be healthy and that they would be churches uh, that are marked by evangelism and deep transformation and long-term impact? Will you grant that uh, in the new churches that are formed? Will you grant that in the churches that have already been formed, including our own? Uh, will you grant it uh, in churches that have long historic roots? Father, renew, reform, and restore your church in this city. 
We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, a reading from the 84th Psalm. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give air, O God of Jacob, Salah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. The word of the Lord. And now, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. We pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would inspire us through our consideration of this word to carry your presence with us this week, to work in our relationships and to the world with joy and with hope. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is a, a delight to be with you. Um, it's always uh, a joy to worship with the Emmanuel family. And I wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. I uh, hope your New Year has started well and that three days in, you are still clung to all of those New Year's resolutions you made. Um, I'm not, but that's okay. Uh, it's after all, it was just for New Year's Day. I think that's how New Year's resolutions are supposed to go. It's just for New Year's Day. And then, you know, after that, go back to back to normal. Um, it is great to be with you on the second Sunday after Christmas, the first Sunday of the new year. You know, every time the calendar flips, we are presented with a new beginning, with an opportunity for a fresh start. And I think I think as we enter 2021, uh, we enter this new year not just grateful that 2020 is over, which I, I, I it was amazing even <clears throat> going to Party City last week or a couple of weeks ago and seeing the unusual uh, New Year's celebration, you know, rather than just, you know, happy 2021, there were some pretty condemnatory items you could buy with respect to 2020 to celebrate the new year. But I think we enter the new year not just grateful that 2020 is over and hopeful that 2021 will be better, but I hope that we actually enter this new year feeling a little bit chastened. The reality is last year did not go as any of us planned. And for all of our resolutions and all of our dreams and strategies, when we gathered on the first Sunday of 2020, the year went a very different way than any of us could have expected. And that's the challenge heading into a new year, isn't it? 
We cannot, we, we can plan, we can strategize, we can prepare, but the journey we begin at the start of a new year seldom goes the way we expect. And that, friends, is where our psalm for today is helpful, Psalm 84, because this psalm is a psalm of pilgrimage. Uh, three times a year, God called his people of old to gather in Jerusalem at Passover and Pentecost and at the Feast of uh, the Tabernacles. The psalmist here gives an, some indications, two in particular, that he has those pilgrimages in mind as he's writing this psalm. The first is this emphasis on God's house that you find really in the first four verses culminating in this beautiful statement, blessed are those who dwell <clears throat> in your house. He's talking about the temple in Jerusalem, the temple in Zion. The second indication that he's talking about pilgrimage comes in the next verse when he says, blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. Literally, it simply reads, highways, highways in their hearts. <laughs> it's kind of a, uh, a, a, a pregnant poetic statement that has a lot more meaning than just those couple of words. But from the image that carries on into verses six and seven, it's clear that you've got people, the, the highways that are in their hearts are the highways to Zion, which is why the English Standard Version here supplements those words to help us understand, like, it's not just that three times a year they perform the act of going to Jerusalem, but actually there is this yearning and compulsion and desire that is drawing them back to Zion. So it's a psalm of pilgrimage, <clears throat> but as with our journeys, things do not always go the way we plan, much less the way we hope for. Psalm 84 sets before us a pilgrimage at its best, the way it is supposed to be. That's why the whole psalm revolves around that word blessed you see at the beginning of verse 5. Did you notice, as Deb read this a few moments ago, did you notice how that word blessed recurs. If you're doing a Bible reading plan this year, one thing I would just encourage you, one very simple uh, tip in reading scriptures is look for repetition. Look for words that recur in a passage or phrases that recur in the passage and circle it. Make note of that because the, 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 they didn't have Microsoft Word back when they wrote the Bible, right? There, there wasn't a B-I-U button at the top of the scroll to click to emphasize something. The way they emphasized was by repeating it. And we have the word blessed. You just saw it in verse 4. Here it is in verse 5. And then it comes at the end of the psalm in verse 12. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. He's, he's presenting the pilgrimage at its, at, its, at its best. And in that context, the people are blessed. Now, this word blessed or blessed means fortunate. Uh, some of you have taught one of my daughters. Her, her name is Ashreya. Uh, the first part of her name, Ashrei, is this Hebrew word blessed. Uh, it means how fortunate you're in a good position, or as my Hebrew prof uh, back in seminary said, uh, what the world calls lucky, the Hebrew Bible calls ashray. You're just fortunate, like things are going your way. That's what this word means. 
And the psalmist calls three groups of people blessed. Those who dwell in your house, verse 4. Verse 5, those whose strength is in you. And then verse 12, the one who trusts in you. That first group of people, who is it that dwells in God's house? Who are the ones who dwell at the temple, who reside there? Well, that, that would be the priests. That second group, those whose strength is in you, whose, in whose hearts are highways to Zion, those are the pilgrims. So we've got two groups, that those, make, those who are priests and those making pilgrimage. And then there's this encapsulating statement at the end, anyone who trusts in you is blessed. You can actually visualize it this way. Now you have the priests, verses one through four, the pilgrims, verses five through eight, and then this prayer of faith that both groups make, both priests and pilgrims. Let's take each in turn and see how the pilgrimage is supposed to go. Verse one begins with this glorious statement, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. See, he's identifying the temple as the place where God dwells. I imagine, I could be wrong, I'm, I admit right now I am speculating, but I imagine that the psalmist was sitting somewhere outside the temple and was reflecting on the glorious reality in front of him. I imagine him sitting near the temple grounds, gazing at the majesty of Solomon's work, but awestruck more so than by all the gold and, and all the, the, the bronze and, and, and all the architectural wonder, awestruck that this is where God dwells. He is here. So he says in verse one, how lovely is your dwelling place? Lovely there, I, I don't know what I expected, but that word lovely is the word beloved. How beloved is your dwelling place? Lord, how much you love this place. And he refers to him, you see, as the Lord of hosts. And again, repetition. He uses this name, this title for God, more than any other title in the psalm. Four times in 12 verses, he refers to him as the Lord of hosts, as Yahweh, Jehovah, that's why Lord is in all caps there, as Jehovah of armies. What are the armies? No, it could be the, the armies of heaven, the host, the angelic hosts. It could be the Israelite armies sometimes. But what he's doing is he's bringing these two words together, the Lord of hosts, to emphasize the fact that the one true God is powerful. He has armies at his disposal, some of which we can't even fathom. The best we can come up with is big white wings and halos on their head. <laughs> He's got armies at his disposal, but he is Jehovah, the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God of his people. This is the name that the Lord revealed to Moses at the burning bush when Moses says, whom shall I say sent me? And the Lord says, I am who I am. I am entirely independent. I cannot be moved. And I am summoning my independence and summoning my power in support of you, my people. I make covenant with you. The Lord of hosts signifies God's great strength marshaled in service of his covenant. And so as I imagine the writer gazing awestruck at the temple, 
they notice something seemingly insignificant. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself. The writer notices that in one of the temple eaves, there's a nest of birds. Now, I find the tendency of birds to perch anywhere they choose to be a bit of a nuisance, right? Uh, we had a balcony in our old apartment and pigeons, for whatever reason, loved that balcony. And trying to keep pigeons off that balcony was not a joyful task. And having to clean up after them was even less so, right? Uh, I live in Brooklyn now, and our closest subway stop is uh, an elevated train. And whenever I cross that intersection, it is like playing Frogger, not with the cars, but like all those white spots on the sidewalk that shouldn't be there. Like those are just birds perched there. It's a nuisance to us, but the psalmist finds something delightful that here are these insignificant sparrows and swallows, small birds who have found a home at the home of the one true God. He finds it delightful that even the smallest birds find a home where God dwells. So he exclaims, how fortunate are those who dwell in your house? Even the birds, right? Even the birds are fortunate to be dwelling with the one true God. But even more, if, if the birds, how much more so the priests who get to live and work in this complex and be around the presence of God at all time, they are ecstatically singing the praises of God. Think about that, which is what Selah means. Give, ponder that reality. But the blessing expands beyond those fortunate few who dwell in God's house. It extends to all of those who find strength to make the long trip up to Jerusalem. Their arduous journey becomes an opportunity for joy. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. Baca there probably refers to a certain type of tree. Like, like a balsam tree or an aspen, a, a tree that does not need a lot of moisture to grow. So what you're, what you're talking about is an arid and dry place. So as they go through those dry places, they make it a place of springs. They make it a place not of dryness, but of delight. The dryness of the land does not affect the spirit of those on pilgrimage. Derek Kidner in his commentary says that this is a classic statement of the faith which dares to dig blessings out of hardships. I love that. If you close 2020 and attempted to say, Lord, what am I thankful for in this really, really hard year? You are living, by, you, you are living in that moment by the spirit of what this psalmist is talking about. We just walk through the valley of Baca, but there, there are springs. There were springs. And, and I, I have a friend who even said, I kind of feel guilty because for all the, the tragedy and suffering of this year, there are a couple of things that happened this year that I'm extremely grateful for. And I almost feel guilty. And yet the psalmist is saying that's an expression of faith. They go from strength to strength, not from weakness to weakness as they make that long climb up Mount Zion, but they go from strength to strength until they reach their destination and appear before God in Zion. And why have they come? They have come to pray. And what is their prayer? What is this 
prayer that they long to pour out to God that, that they have expended their strength and exhausted themselves to make. That's the third section of the psalm, beginning in verse 9. The prayer is, God, look on our shield. Look on the face of your anointed. So there, there's a couple of things to note here in this verse. One, note that word shield. The, the, these people on pilgrimage praying, coming to appear before God to pray, say, God, behold our shield. That indicates for us that the people who are praying this, both priests and pilgrims, that the people praying this recognize that they could not just walk into the presence of God without protection. They could not come unshielded. Being in the presence of God as we are would unmake our being. So the pilgrims and the priests long to be in God's presence, and yet they recognize we cannot come unless there is protection, unless there is a shield. And they are praying, God, look at our shield so that you don't incinerate us for coming into your presence. Note also that the psalmist uses uh, parallelism, sort of repeating line one in line two with different words to tell us what the shield is. It says, behold our shield, look on the face of your anointed. The shield is the person that God set apart by anointing with oil. Someone was anointed with oil so that they could stand as the shield for the people, giving cover so that all of these people could delight in the presence of God rather than be destroyed by the presence of God. And specifically, as we're talking about these pilgrims coming to Jerusalem, that shield would have been the high priest. So all the priests and all the people are praying, God, accept the sacrificial work that the high priest is doing on our behalf so that we can delight in your presence. And there's no doubt why they wanted to be in God's presence. It's because a day in God's course, uh, courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. The psalmist says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. You, you know what he's saying there? He's saying, Lord, let me stay here with you instead of living with extortioners who rip off the poor and have everything they could wish. I'd rather be with you than have all that money. Let me stay here with you instead of partnering with the politically powerful who can swing the machinations of government in my favor. I'd rather be here with you than have power. He's saying, let me stay here with you instead of lining myself up with people who can protect me from what I fear most. God, I'd rather be here with you than have security. The psalmist is ready to give up every creature comfort, every ill-gotten gain, every opportunity to control his own destiny, if only he can be in the presence of God. Why? Because the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord God will give favor and honor. 
no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. In other words, in other words, in God's presence, the psalmist recognizes I have everything I need. This is like the psalmist, uh, the, the shepherd psalm, Psalm 23, the Lord is the one shepherding me. Therefore, I lack nothing. Right? If the all-powerful sovereign of the universe is the one who is tending to my needs, then what I have is what I need. And if I don't have it, I must not need it. That's what he's saying. And that's what he's saying. In, that's what the psalmist is saying in Psalm 84. What one of the sons of Korah is pointing out here. That in God's presence, I have everything I need. That doesn't mean we stop praying. But it means that even as we're praying for God to bestow other blessings, we recognize in this moment, I must not need it right now because I don't have it right now. And if I needed it right now, my shepherd would provide it right now. But I don't need it right now because I don't have it. So maybe it's a future blessing I will need, but right now I have what I need. You see the faith of the psalmist? It's remarkable, which is why, of course, the psalmist ends, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one. How fortunate is the one who trusts in you. Not just the priests, not just the pilgrims, not just the high priest, everyone. Friends, this is the pilgrimage as it was meant to be. But as I said earlier, the journey we begin seldom ends the way we expect. In this case, the psalmist lays out a glorious vision of ecstatic priests who are just overjoyed in verses one through four, yearning to be in the presence of God. And a vision of joyful pilgrims who in verses five through eight are undeterred by dry seasons and in fact got, find God's blessings in the drought. And a vision of holy believers who in verses nine through 12 cast off every shred of wickedness in order to stand in the presence of God. Friend, that... Friends, that ideal was seldom, if ever, realized at the temple in Jerusalem. Instead, those priests who should have been ecstatic, instead grew unfaithful, accepting unworthy offerings to give to the Lord and utilizing their ministry to bilk the poor. The joyful pilgrims simply stopped coming. Almost immediately after Solomon's death, five-sixths of the nation were like, nope, we're not going there anymore. We'll go to Samaria. They just stopped coming. And, and these holy believers went astray, even the best of them, from David and Solomon to Hezekiah and Josiah. They wandered away from steadfast faith in God. And after centuries of divine patience, eventually the Lord had enough. He brought on the Babylonians to destroy this temple and send his people into exile. And friends, as I've described them, I hope you can see yourself in their story. The psalmist is intentionally using the literal pilgrimage of the people to talk about the journeys we are all on, that his people were on, and that we are on, the journeys of our lives. And as I've explicated different parts of the psalm, Certainly there are parts in your own heart where you go, boy, I, I don't have faith in God like that. Like, I know that what you said about Psalm 23, I know that that's true. But do you realize my health is failing? You mean that the, the health I have right now is the health that my shepherd wants me to have? I don't know if I can deal with that. 
You mean I'm supposed to to prefer being in God's presence to ill-gotten gain? Well, I mean, everyone else in my field is doing this. Am I really sacrificing the presence of God just to get a little bit more cash? It's that sense of guilt and shame that we carry, even that sense of exile that we have that stems from our own unfaithfulness, that stems from our own tendency to give up our own pull to go astray. And friend, this is where I would encourage you not to misread this psalm or to mishear this sermon. Because what I'm, I'm not saying to you, so be more ecstatic, be more joyful, and grow in holiness for heaven's sake. That's not the message of this psalm for us. Because the ideal of Psalm 84 can sound a little bit like those New Year's resolutions. This is the way I want to live this year, and here it is January 3rd. Ah, last year was fine. <laughs> Forget it. I'm never going to reach that ideal. The point of the sermon is not to say try harder and you can do it, because you tried hard last year, and let's be honest, you failed. So did I. Sorry to be so blunt, but am I right? All the fervency, all the ecstasy, all the joy, all the resolutions for holiness in January fizzle by February, if not sooner. What we need is not to try harder. Friends, what we need is a shield. We need a shield. What we need is for God to anoint someone who would provide covering for us to stand in the presence of God. And friends, this great need for a shield, this great need for an anointed one. And you know what the Hebrew word is here, right? This great need for a Messiah is what we've been celebrating in this Christmas season. For we have a shield. God's anointed one has come and his name is Jesus. Friends, this is the wonder of the gospel. The wonder of the gospel, as, as, as amazed as the psalmist was sitting outside the temple, imagining God is here in this temple and he's allowed us a pathway to it. As amazed and awestruck as he was, how much more awestruck, awestruck are we by the wonder of the gospel? Not that God has made a pathway for us to go on a journey into his presence, but that when we were faithless and astray, God made a pathway and came down to us. An advent so stark, a coming so amazing that it summoned those mysterious magi from the east to come celebrate his birth. He came as one of us to live like none of us has. And on his earthly pilgrimage, Jesus lived as the faithful pilgrim. Everywhere his feet took him, he brought joy to those who wept. From a Roman centurion to a nameless widow in a town called Nain, who had lost her son, her only son. Jesus walked through the valleys of Baca that we experience, and he walked through them bringing joy to others, making it a place of springs, because he is the faithful pilgrim. And then, friends, he died as the faithful priest, offering himself as the only sacrifice for sin that could atone, himself. 
And in so doing, he provides covering for all who trust him to come into the presence of God with gladness. You see, Jesus is the true and greater priest, and he is the true and greater pilgrim. And friends, on the third day, he rose from the dead to show that he is the true priest whose offering has been ex accepted, that he is the true pilgrim who followed the path his father lay before him, even to his death, that he is the truly blessed one who trusted in God. I can't help but wonder whether the psalmist under divine influence chose the singular here on purpose, because the one who trusts in God is Jesus alone. He's the only one who's ever done it his whole life long. That one is Jesus, our shield, our Messiah, our Lord. And friends, this Jesus has poured his spirit out on us to make us the temple of God. Here's the great reversal of the gospel stated another way. No longer are we pilgrims moving towards the presence of God. For the presence of God, according to St. Paul, the presence of God is already with us. We are not pilgrims moving toward the presence of God. We are now pilgrims carrying the presence of God wherever we go. Thus the title of the sermon. We are pilgrims on mission. This psalm and its fulfillment in Jesus sets up a profound and fundamental shift in the way we engage life. We're not just trying to get to our next worship service or our next devotional time where we can finally get to the presence of God. Friends, God has come to us. He is here with us now by his spirit. We are in God's presence wherever we are, by definition, according to St. Paul. He has come to us and we carry his presence wherever we go. So as we look to this coming week, that means at least three things. One is this. Friends, live in God's presence. Recognize that it's, it's the reality. It's sort of like the air you breathe. You don't think about it very often, but it's there. God's presence is with you by the person of the Holy Spirit. So take, take, take a deep breath of him. And recognize that wherever you are, wherever you go, you don't need to get into his presence. By his spirit, you're already there. What we need to do is to learn to live there, to carry on a conversation with him, to practice his presence. Second, trust his provision. I, I know this, this can, I, I do not mean to be insensitive or harsh. I, I, I've endured about a year and a half of unemployment living in Manhattan with a family of seven. Um, I am preaching to myself here, okay? It is difficult to choose between God's presence, the longing for his presence, or like, well, you know, if I just do this, then I could get a little bit more to help me out. Actually, it's impossible because our hearts are wayward. But friends, his spirit is at work in you. And he's changing you to become more and more like Jesus. So sure, take your needs and your wants to him, express your trust in prayer, but at the same time, learn the lesson of Psalm 23. If you don't have it, you must not need it right now. He's a sun and shield. He'll bestow favor and honor. No good thing will he withhold from you. And then finally, friends, I would encourage you, bring joy to the margins. This is... Not, I, I think I've most of my life read this psalm as uh, a deeply 
inspirational and personal one. But when you consider how Jesus fulfilled this passage, you cannot walk away with with any other conclusion except that we are supposed to walk into the valleys of Baca around us and make it a pool of springs. That's the path of Jesus. So friends, go to where, where it is dry and arid and bring life. Serve the poor, attend to the prisoner, tend to the sick, care for the dying, comfort the grieving. Your pilgrimage is divinely intended to bless other people. So take the presence of God with you this week and bring joy where there is loss. No, this year will not be all that you hope it will be. But by God's grace and by virtue of your union with Christ, his presence will be with you every day. So confident of his grace, friends, put on your shoes and spread joy, the joy of your pilgrimage with those who need it most. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.